Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell. I'm Stephen. I'm Joey. And I'm Paul. And this is a podcast about storytelling. As of last week, I've officially read 200 romance novels, most of which have been set in 19th century England. And the funny thing is that I never read a romance novel before I began living most of my life at home in 2016. That's when I got sick and I couldn't keep up with my life anymore. My body began to misbehave in sudden and unexpected ways, my brain grew foggy, and I became extremely unreliable in a way that was antithetical to everything I'd ever cared about. I'm not trying to be vague about what happened. I just find myself at a loss whenever I try to explain the fluctuating nature of chronic illness. So let me just tell you that on my very best days, I can make my own coffee and take a trip into town and maybe even write something. And on my very worst days, my legs shake so much that I need to lean on my husband to travel from the bed to the bathroom. When I first began my life at home, it was hard for people to understand what I did all day. Most people I knew had never spent days or weeks at home without cease. So I felt defensive about how I spent my time and I felt like I had to justify every bad day, every hour spent in bed. So I spent those hours in another world, in a fictionalized 19th century England where it's totally normal to spend half the day in bed, where there are strong, smart women who aren't allowed to work, who are constantly held back by forces beyond their control. There are very few novels written about women whose unpredictable bodies prevent them from pursuing their dreams. But there is a whole world of novels about women who are prevented from leaving the house regularly by the patriarchal rules of their society. Of course, these ladies are much better at correspondence than I am. When I first began living most of my life at home, I didn't know how to explain to people that human interaction had become painful. It was emotionally painful, of course, because I'd torn myself away from people that I cared about, but it was physically painful too. On bad days, my body just shuts down. Sometimes that means I can only reply to texts or emails once a week, sometimes less. My silence has cost me quite a few relationships. I only read or listen to romance novels when my brain can't handle anything more complicated. This isn't a dig at the genre, it's just that the genre requires a happy ending, and so I waste no energy worrying about the details. During particularly difficult symptom flares, I'll finish a book every single day, so you can see why 200 romance novels is a difficult landmark to celebrate. After a tumultuous first year at home, I began to stabilize. If I rested enough in anticipation and recuperation, I could visit my old friends in the cities where they live and perform a version of normal that I'd missed so much. I could budget my energy reliably enough to schedule video chats with people I care about, and I could retreat to 19th century England to recover when I felt myself beginning to break down again. And then this awful thing happened in the outside world, and suddenly everyone I know is spending life at home too. Suddenly people who implied it must be nice for me to spend so much time at home are talking publicly about how difficult it is. All of a sudden, everyone is having virtual parties and live online concerts and reaching out to each other to acknowledge that life at home can be very, very lonely. And I wanna tell you that I'm grateful. I wish I could tell you that suddenly I felt more connected to the world outside my home, but that's not what happened for me. What happened for me is that my carefully balanced energy budget has been thrown into chaos because all of the busyness of the outside world has come home. 
I've become unreliable again, drowning under the wave of check-in texts and emails and Zoom invites. I start shaking at the smallest provocation and I'm confronted with how much fuller life could be at home if only my body would cooperate. And I'm reading headlines written by people who find their busy lives at home to be empty, who can't even fathom what it would be like to have a body that is incapacitated for days by a single poorly timed Zoom call. So I found myself spending more time in 19th century England again. I've barely been able to leave my bed this week because even brushing my teeth sets off a wave of violent spasms that make everything else more difficult. But even in bed, I can feel connected and emotionally invested and whole when I accompany these assorted ladies and gentlemen to their happily ever afters, because they make me happy too. glad that you I mean there's lots of stuff it, there's so much stuff in there but I'm also really glad that you talked about romance novels because I've been so curious as to what because you talked about this so much before but I never I was like what is where did where what, what what's inside what's happening in these novels that Brienne's like all like all in a hundred percent in some of the like things that have been cut from the story is like one me being like at first I didn't want to talk about it because I never read them before and I didn't want to put them on Goodreads because I was like this is embarrassing all of the covers are extremely embarrassing because they're like scantily clad women in gowns you know um but at a certain point I was like listen I can't keep track of all the ones that I've read anymore and I'm gonna lose track if I'm not open about it so I guess it's happening it's interesting as a genre like there are a lot of disabled characters in romance novels, which is something that I didn't expect at all, but it's where I, I've seen more kind of people with chronic illness, with, with mental illness, with neurodivergence represented in these books as people who get to have like, well, within the ridiculous confines of like fake aristocratic British life, who get to have this like full realm of emotions and acceptance. And that's a form of representation that is very scant elsewhere, which is interesting. Like not at all on tv for example but mostly i like them because if i fall asleep and then i wake up again i don't need to go back because the details even in the good ones the details don't really matter like they're all on parallel tracks and i know where i am when i wake up so that's a component too i would imagine because i have books and authors and and tv shows too that are comforting for me mm -hmm. that i'm just like i i that I sometimes will fall asleep to because I'm just like there's a certain rhythm to them and there's a certain thing that you're you can go in and out and they're engaging enough but also mm -hmm. you can just be like fall asleep <laughs> or yeah. do whatever you need to do. I do fall asleep to them a lot like most nights now. I didn't expect my life to go this way from a romance novel enthusiast perspective but it's true. Is there, uh, do you have any favorite romance novels? Obviously we can get to actual content later, but I'm, I'm curious about whether or not there's like a few that are real good. Um, yeah, there, so now that I, I'm at this number that I'm at, I have a few favorite writers that I like for different things. So uh, I'll tell you so that you guys can both follow up later, add them to your reading list. But um, Lisa Kleypas is one of my favorites um, because she does disability well and also it's very vivid. Like. Some of them, I'm just like, the, the humans in these books never feel three-dimensional. And some of them, I'm like, oh, this is an incredibly vivid world right away. And I feel that way about her. 
hers, oh, a different thing that I cut from this essay is also that like romance novels are notorious for their graphic sex scenes, but the truth is that like this varies wildly by writer. So some of them are very graphic and some of them are like long kisses where people lick the roofs of each other's mouths a lot. And you're like, this is, yeah, <laughs> the face that you're making step in is the face that I made while I read them. And I'm like, what is happening? Like I am, this isn't why I'm reading this book at all because it is <laughs> like distasteful to me. Um, but so I really like Lisa Kleypas on one side. I feel like she's also a more graphic lady. And I really like um, Mary Balach, which I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's O-G-H. It's, I think it's a Welsh name, but she lives in Canada. Um, because another thing about 19th century England is like all of the men are veterans, at least at the beginning, because it's mm. kind of when the Napoleonic Wars were and, and right after that. So all of these characters have like different sorts of trauma or different sorts of disability that they're kind of trying to work through in the context of war um, and then love. And it's really lovely. Um, and then I won't say a bunch that I have not liked, but just know that not all romance novels are created equal. And some of them are extremely not engaging. Some of them are really bad on consent, which is like extremely ick to read. Um, that's a big one. So, okay. So more on to the actual content of the story, less on, on romance novels, though sure, I sure. continue asking questions. It was interesting that you, you noted that it got like, because a thing that has been weird for, for, for me uh, as someone who, used to go outside um someone in the call yesterday called it the before which i thought was very funny um so <laughs> uh in the before uh it, but it is that piece of like everyone knows where you are you're at home and so there is an expectation that you're sort of always available because they know where you are you're at home yeah and so it's like the ability like it, it sort of makes it seem like you you could never be really busy which is like not exactly true, but definitely a, an assumption that is sort of cast onto. It's interesting that like, that has also affected you who your life hasn't changed, but now there's a whole new set of expectations that are coming out. Yeah, and, and that was really surprising. And it's something that I've seen, I know other people are going through because I've had a lot of conversations about this mm -hmm. where it's like, some things have changed because um, I'm probably more at risk if I were to actually contract COVID and Adam, my husband has asthma. So he's also more at risk. So like we have been paying more attention to this than I think some people have kind of for longer. So it was taking up more headspace at the beginning, but the actual facts of my day-to-day -day life like are not different. And in fact, where we live in this like house in a village in rural New England, we chose because we knew that we were going to be spending all of our life at home. So like compared to where I lived when I lived in Toronto, which I loved, but like if I were at home all the time there, it would feel very different than being home all the time here, which was like explicitly chosen as a home because it is a good home to spend all your time in. But yeah. even so, all like, you know, all of these things that have been possible this whole time, like group chats, like that nobody ever thought to try before because they could go out for drinks with their friends are happening and it's like it's like what you're saying you're like you're never really busy it's hard to decline and i and i'm going through this thing where i'm like how do i how much do i explain to people who kind of know but don't really know like do i sound ridiculous when i say that like i can't do a 15 person group chat because it's gonna overrule like my brain will explode and i think i do i don't know i i worry about that but like i said hello on a call when i hadn't had enough sleep last sunday and it like completely 
I don't know, crashed my system. Like I was non-functional for a couple of days. And even, even saying that, I'm like, most people don't have a context for that. And the, and the context for that hasn't changed. But like, people still don't really get that that's a thing that can happen to somebody, if that makes sense. Sometimes I don't know how to even engage because we're all engaging with each other online and everything. I don't know how to do that sometimes because I find it very frustrating and I have no idea where I fit in because for me, although um, lots of things change for me in terms of work and everything, I, I, I have a hard time also just being like, I'm okay. Uh, like, I understand there's lots of people struggling and trying to figure out how to do this, but also I, I, I feel bad just being like, oh no, this is a thing that I've, in parts of my life, I've lived in a similar kind of situation mm-hmm. in a way, or I'm okay managing my own time or I'm on this. So it's, I don't know where, it's just interesting to me to see, because you have a big community online through your podcast and through um, your writing and everything. And it's, it's really opened my eyes a lot to follow, like see a lot of the discussions and how you're, you know, interacting with, with the people in, in, in the, in sort of your community. And it's like, Oh, I, I had no, you know, just, I just learning things. Yeah. I think like one thing that, that this kind of brings to the fore is that when everybody could leave their homes regularly, we see a lot of discourse about like, social media isn't real connection and stuff like that. Like connecting with people online isn't real. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, this is a hot take that people share regularly. There are articles about it, whatever. And all of a sudden, now that everybody is at home, I think people are struggling to find ways to feel connected and simultaneously unaware of how many people have been navigating this problem for forever, kind of, since before the internet even, um, and even now on the internet. Um, and it's, it's like, there's kind of the wide range of things, which is like, how do you feel connected to people if you're home alone and you can't ever see anybody until there's a vaccine kind of, um, to also like, how do you care for yourself when so much of your identity had to do with seeing other people, whatever that looks like. And so I know like for me, Twitter has become my social life and saying that is a weird thing because I hear so many voices about how like social media isn't real social interaction and all of these things. But like, for me, it is an incredibly accessible way to engage with people because it's asynchronous. So I can pop in and out whenever I'm able because there's, it's accessible to so many people. Um, And what I found is just like, like any other space, the way, like the community that you build there depends on how you show up to that space. And so like, Obviously, there, there are other factors here about why I am getting fewer trolls than some other people do, but I don't, I have an incredibly po- consistently positive experience on Twitter um, with a lot, a lot, a lot of people who are in a similar situation to me. So they're chronically ill and maybe they live the house regularly or maybe they don't, but like who find it's really difficult to socially engage in any of the quote normal ways because the normal ways wear their bodies down. Another like way that this has been coming out right now during social distancing is that we see, I'm seeing a lot of anxiety from people who are at home all the time and who are like paralyzed by that experience. So all of a sudden, like without your normal routine, you don't know how to activate, you don't know what to do. You're like, am I depressed? And it's like, oh, there's, there's so many ideas that we kind of never have to unpack if we're locked into a schedule about 
Like what is executive function, which is your ability to activate and do a task? When is your executive function impaired, which is like during high stress situations like a global pandemic? And so people who have had no access to conversations about this kind of stuff before, about how hard it is to just like every single thing about having your life disrupted um, are, are kind of trying to have them publicly without any awareness of the resources and all the people who have tried to f- figure this out before. It's, it's been really interesting is the word that I'll use. Does that get at what you're asking about? Yeah, yeah, totally. Maybe, um, maybe just do a, a plug for your, where, where on Twitter you are and your podcast. Um, I'm on Twitter at Bennis B, so B-E-N-N-E-S-S-B. And I do a podcast about chronic illness. So I interview people about their just like whole histories of chronic illness. Every episode is one story. And the biggest thing about Twitter now is that I basically use it as a smaller way to collect stories. So we're just having discussions about really specific experiences of of illness or becoming homebound or mental illness or whatever. Um, And it's also, uh, I don't know why, I don't know how this happened. I I do take credit for it, but I'm not sure that I can, which is that now I've also been able to make a hashtag, um, which is N-E-I-S void, because any, like no end in sight, the void, um, N-E-I-S void, where anybody can ask a question about like mental health, physical health, shit that they're experiencing, either looking for advice or looking for commiseration. Because I think often, especially when we're stuck at home, what we actually need is someone else who's like, hey, the way you're feeling, I felt that way too. Um, and I think Twitter is an incredible space for that because it reaches out beyond our kind of existing networks that Instagram and Facebook might capture that don't, aren't always able to connect us with people who are experientially similar. I've been home since 2016, but I know a lot of people now who have been home for decades. And so I would love to just have people know that that's the thing that I want people to be aware of, that Mm -hmm. this won't end for a lot of people when there's a vaccine or when test and trace is feasible. And that matters. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Visit storieswedonttell.org and like our Facebook page for more information about our monthly events. And for more stories, check out our book available anywhere books are sold. This episode of the Stories of Not Podcast brought you by Romance Novels. Romance Novels, because sometimes you want someone to lick the inside of your mouth. I have a lot to say about this.